Welcome to the Christ Fellowship Podcast. Today we're going to be reading through 1 Kings 17, talking about Elijah. Continuing our series on hire, we're going to look at the process that God has throughout Scripture of calling all of us to levels of higher thinking, spirituality, and wisdom. All of that today in 1 Kings chapter 17. So Lord, we thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you're the lifter of our heads. No matter what's going on, you're the lifter of our heads. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Thank you. It was great. Good morning. If you're a, if you're a veteran, would you stand up? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. You can tell a veteran because this is how they stand up. <laughs> like they don't like a lot of attention, which we really appreciate, and we're grateful for you. Let me just, I just want to pray for that. Father, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for all the men and women that serve. And Lord, serving is, is hard to find these days. Any kind of serving is hard to find. And so we're especially grateful for um, Veterans and Veterans Day and the remembrance of what real service looks like and the cost of real service. And we're grateful for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, wow. So uh, last night, Don and I were watching... This, uh, I don't know if you've seen the series Pacific, but it's about the, the World War II in the Pacific. And at the end, they were just showing the actors and then the real people, which is so moving. It's like, I would have just sat there and watched that part of it. And what happened to them, um, one, of the, one of the young men at age 17 was killed in the Pacific. And then others that lived into the 2000s and um, just watch, seeing their faces... And, you know, and just thinking, like, those were real people. You ever think that? Like, you're, you're looking at old photographs somewhere, and you're looking at those people, and, like, they're real people that lived whole lives. And, like, did they know, did they think their life was important? Did they, did they does anyone remember them? And Donna, my wife, is Jewish, and, well, we were with her family yesterday, and they have a notebook uh, that they get from the synagogue uh, every year, and it's the list of everyone who died, and it's a remembrance book that they all carry to remember each day of the year who passed away as far back as they can go. It's very, it's very moving, and it's like you're, try, you're trying to remember people and remember their lives. And a lot of times when you're thinking about your own life, and the scope of what's happening in the world and the scope of history and all of that, it seems like it's not that important. You, you feel like you're not that important, like you're small in a big giant cosmos. But when we read the Bible, it's really actually not true. What, what is true is that every life, all life, every life is significant and it has dramatic effect on the future, all life. And your life impacts the future no matter what you do or don't do. The not doing has an impact on the future. The doing has an impact on the future. You can't be here and not have an impact on the future. Every action or inaction has a result. That's physics. So when you think about that, it's pretty important what you do each day. This passage that's been on my mind, and they were talking about it and singing about it, Psalm 33.3 3 says this, 
It says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I'll read it one more time. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You are my glory. The Lord is your glory. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. Lift, lift there means to exalt. God is exalting you. He's lifting you and holding you up for others to be impacted by you, for the world to be impacted by you. That's what God has. That's what God wants. He doesn't look around and say, wow, I need some real celebrities to do this. It's not, it's not the way it works. It's you. It's me. It's us. So when you think about the world currently, it's pretty broken. I mean, it's it's frightening when you read the news. We're just here. And, then, and you think, what in the world could I do? Or, or even better, what could we do? But what could I do? And this verse says that what God wants to do is be your shield. He wants to be your shield, your glory, and the one who lifts you up and exalts you, who holds you up in this day and this time when it feels like the whole thing's out of control. And all everyone wants to do is fight. Everyone just wants to fight and get power over the other person and make that other person pay for what they did. Like That's what it seems like is going on. And so what we have to have is a counter to that. There has to be a counter strategy to the strategy of let's just get in control and make everyone submit to us. There has to be because that, this strategy of let's all get in control just creates war. It's all it ever creates. And when we're celebrating Veterans Day, isn't the greatest gift we could give to those who died is make it so their families don't have to die and the next generation doesn't have to die? Can't we honor them by stopping that? Wouldn't that be the way to honor them? To go to Arlington Cemetery and cry and say, let's not do this again? Instead of thinking it's the only strategy we have. And, and, and so if God, is, if God is my shield and my glory and the lifter of my head, what's the plan here? What's he doing? So when you look at scripture, when you look at scripture, when, when there's a national calamity going on, all through the scriptures, start in Genesis and read the whole thing. Because the consistency is amazing, it's one of the hard things to believe about the Bible, is how consistent it is, the, the themes that run through, the meta-narratives that are so consistent. Trust me, even if you're trying to write a document that has a theme that's consistent through it, it's hard to do. Even when, when I'm writing the story, it's hard to do. But to, to read a book that's over thousands of years of history in different cultures and different genders in different times and there's a consistent meta narrative all the way through it it's astounding like you you can't do that that has to be inspired it's one of the things that makes scripture that, that gives scripture veracity is that that theme that meta narrative like wow this is pretty consistent all the way through and and there's many themes that are consistent but one of them that's consistent is when there's a national calamity going on. When an entire nation is falling apart and God moves to counter the calamity, do you know how many people he picks to do that? All through scripture, do you know how many people he raises up to stop a national calamity? One. One. That means you're on the hook. That's what that means. One person, that's how he does it. And if you're not excited about that, you should be excited. And if you are excited, you need to tell your face. That's the theme this morning. Kim has established it. The theme is tell your face. Now I can't get that out of my head. I felt like I'm going to switch this whole thing. And every time I say, and you think you feel that way, and you all yell back at me, tell your face. Like, wouldn't that be cool? Maybe not. And if you think it's cool, you need to tell your face that it's cool. One person, one person to, to, to either prevent a national calamity or to bring a nation out of a national calamity, one person. 
That's the theme in scripture. And that one person goes through a common process. So another thing about, I love about scripture and about reality is that it makes sense. It's, the Bible's not a magic book. It makes sense. It's sense that's better than our sense. It's higher than our ways. It's Isaiah 55, that's the whole theme we're talking about. The strategy of how to come out of it or avoid it is higher than how we'd think because we typically just think in fear. That's how we move. We just move at the lowest level of, I'm afraid, what can I do to protect myself? That's, how we, that's low level thinking. High level thinking, way up in the prefrontal cortex, his ways are higher, are like not in the reptilian brain. They're higher than that. They're creative. They're like, huh, oh, we've never done that before. We've done this a thousand times and it never works. Let's try something different. That's scripture. All, all the words, all the texts of scripture are God-breathed and profitable for correction and reproof and instruction in the right way to do things. That's what the scriptures are for. And we need to read them like that. They're not just verses to memorize and walk around quoting. Like these are strategies and processes for the good of humanity. Whether you believe they're divine or not, they still work. They're incredible. And we don't pay attention to them. So I thought this morning, when I was thinking of higher in this verse, that you, O Lord, are the shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head, it made me think, okay, God is constantly exalting us and moving us to higher ground. He's moving us to higher ground, mentally, spiritually, physically. The whole system is growth. So even when we're watching Jesus, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with people. He's growing in favor with people, are we? And if we are, we need to tell our face that because it doesn't look like that's the strategy. It looks like let's separate and fight more and more in smaller and smaller fragmented teams. That's not the strategy. The strategy is to grow and get better and smarter and more creative in everything that we're doing, politically, educationally, all of it, socially, all of it. Don't keep making the same mistakes. Don't, keep, don't stay in, in this constant pattern of, of, of just doing the same thing over and over again because it leads to the same result, which is fragmentation, separation. And Jesus is our best example of how to do it differently. That's why it says, lift Jesus up and he will draw people because he's the greatest example we have of a human being that's in connection all the time with the divine. <laughs> what does that look like? Hebrew says it. We see Jesus. Yeah, this looks bad, but we see Jesus. And when we look at Jesus, when we look at Jesus in Luke chapter five, for example, well, in John chapter 6, John chapter 6, when the people are saying to Jesus, tell us the works of God that we may do them. Tell us the works, plural, of God that we may do them. And Jesus says the work, one, there's only one, the work of God is to believe in the one he sent, Jesus. That's the work. You want to do the work of God? Believe in the one he sent, Jesus. And then we look to Jesus and we say, okay, we're going to believe you. What do you say? And his word, his word is this, follow me. That's pretty basic. Believe and follow. Believe and follow. And then Luke chapter 5, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. I will make you to become fill in the blank. What is God making you to become? And in the process of making you to become, he's lifting you higher and higher and higher. And as you pursue him, <laughs> you, you, you grow. I, it was so interesting. I was talking to this person the other week and, and a young guy and I said, what, what are you, what's your dream in your heart? And he said, well, I want to understand the difference between what God says and what I just say. And I said, well, the goal is that what God says is what you say. That they're the same thing. Not that it's always this. It's like this. You have the mind of Christ. You have the spirit of the living God. It should, the goal is that this is in line with what God would say. And when he says it, you're like, I already think that. Perfect. 
And I said, it's not like God's going to come to you. Most people don't think this and say, yeah, my big goal is to make you a millionaire. And the guy said, really? It's not? And I'm like, is that what you heard? And he goes, well, it was what I hoped. And I'm like, okay, well, here's the way God rewards people. He doesn't reward people with money. He rewards them with authority and influence. That's how, and with that can come financial results, sure. But the way God rewards people in scripture is with greater authority and greater influence. That's what you want. How many people does it take to change a country? One, as that person follows, believes and follows, believes and follows, believes and follows, they go up. Now, there's a little twist, because Jesus says in the kingdom to go up, you have to go down. Different talk. But you do go up. That's the goal, to gain influence and authority wherever you are. That's the goal. Marketplace, everywhere that you are. And there's the process, believe and follow. So I thought this morning, let's take a person in Scripture. We could do this all the way through the Bible. Jesus is clearly... a. a a person who's doing this, but let's go back in the Old Testament and look and see if we can follow that theme. And so I picked Elijah because I like Elijah and because Elijah's an impressive dude and Elijah's the one that shows up when Jesus is at the Mount of Transfiguration and it's Elijah and Moses. Wow, why Elijah? Elijah, who died, I didn't know this, he died around 60 years old. So he wasn't that old and he accomplished a lot and he's a very fierce, brave, kind of up and down person. But here's the coolest thing about Elijah. James says it. He's a man just like us. That's what the scripture says about Elijah in James. Elijah is a man just like you. So, and Elijah prayed that there be no rain and there was no rain. What kind of person was that? He was just like you. It's so easy, and this is what Muslims do. They look at the prophets and they say, the prophets are way up here, they're sinless, we'll never be like them. Not true. Not true. The prophets are just like us. They're afraid, they make mistakes, but, but, they, but they believe and follow. <laughs> they believe and follow. That's the process you want to have in your head. Believe what? I don't know. What's the Lord asking you to believe? But definitely you have to believe in Jesus. That's a absolute. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life in the whole thing. And you can't know the Father unless you know the love of Christ. That's the Father's love demonstrated. So you have to believe in Jesus and then follow. So if we just got up on Monday and said, okay, God, what do you want me to believe today? And how do I follow that? Then you have a life plan right there. There it is. So let's look at, I'm going to look at 1 Kings chapter 17. This is Elijah, a man just like you. God's desire for us is that we're continually moving to higher ground, both mentally and spiritually. That's his desire. So I'm just going to read through this. And just, it, this is, just watch this process. Just watch this process. I'm going to start in 17, 1 through 7. Here we go. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead. Okay, so... Stop right there. So Elijah is a prophet, but, he, but he's not like a famous, he's not like from the Harvard School of Prophets. He's more like from the Community College of Tishba Prophets. Like we've never even heard of this guy. Who's this guy? He doesn't have a podcast. He hasn't written any books. We don't know who he is. And he just shows up. So now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead how would you lie? What is the team logo of Tishbites? Like that's, who is this person? He comes out of nowhere. He goes directly to the king. So he's got courage. He goes directly to the king. And this is what he says. As the Lord, the God of Israel live before whom I stand. Not important that you don't stand in front of him. What's important is that I stand in front of him. Do you understand that? It doesn't matter what they think out there. What matters is who do you stand before every day? That's what matters. That's what you have to get right. Who do you believe? The one in whom I stand before every day. I believe him and I follow him. That's it. That's my strategy. And so somewhere 
in Tishba, Elijah has this idea that he should go to Ahab, not a good guy, and his wife, a horrible person, and go to them and say this, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. That's, that's in Indonesian they say, that's barani. That's pretty brave to make a statement like that to the king. And then he says that, then the word of the Lord comes to him, depart here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, to the word of the Lord. He's not reading and memorizing verses. The word of the Lord has come to him in his prayer life, in his spirit, in his brain. (laughs) Has come to him according to the word of the Lord. He went, he believed, and he followed. That's all he's doing. Believing and following. He went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook that is east of the Jordan. And what do you know? The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. So this is Elijah's entrance into history right here. This is it. Just shows up on the scene. One guy. And Israel is in big trouble. As a country, the whole thing is a disaster. And Jezebel is the Jezebel is so bad we we name things after Jezebel, like the Jezebel spirit. Like, what does that mean? That means it's bad. That's what it means. It means it's awful. Jezebel. We just say that word, and people are like it, it affected, and their face shows it. Their face says it. That's who he goes to. So imagine you're having your quiet time early in the morning. Just put yourself in this place. And the Lord says, go to the Congress or the White House or somewhere where you would never go and just say this to him. It's not going to rain here until you guys stop fighting. Wow, wouldn't that be a miracle? It's not going to rain in the land until you all stop fighting and bickering. And it's not going to rain until I say so. And I'll be, I'm fleeing to the Tri-Cities to live by the river. Imagine you said that. That sounds like the craziest thing, but it's higher than how you would think. And who's, who's going to protect Elijah in this? Who's his shield? Who's his glory? Who's the, who's the one lifting his head to give him the courage to do this? God. And so here's what Elijah has to do. He has to believe that God is going to protect him when he says that to these mean people. Then he runs and he goes and he lives by this brook and he has to believe that in the time of famine he can drink from the brook, which isn't that hard to believe, but that birds are going to feed him. Can you imagine that strategy? Like when me and Donna got married and her, her dad said to me, her dad who's a you know, successful, wealthy guy, and he said, what, do you, what, he, what are you guys going to live on? Love? You ever hear that statement? What are you going to live on? Love? And me and Donna were like, that's kind of was the plan. Yeah, it sounds dumb now that you say it, but yeah. <laughs> but what if I said we're going to live by a brook and birds are going to feed us day and night? What if I said that? <laughs> it probably would have gone over better than love, but, but that's, so he believes and he follows because really what's the risk? There's some risk in telling the king the whole, nothing's going to work until you say so. But then, then the next le- is run away. Like We can all do that. We're all good at that. Run away, hide. We're good at that. Been practicing that one a lot. And then just wait for God to show up and take care of you. That's harder. But it's not that risky because what if the ravens don't come? Ah, we'll figure it out. So it's just kind of like low level. Do this. And he goes and he does it. And he's pretty shocked. Wow, it works. Ravens not only come... <laughs> They come twice a day and they feed me a pretty sustainable diet and and it works. And so lesson number one, lesson number one, and if you don't get this, you'll never go to lesson two. If you don't get this one, my God can supply all my needs. If you don't believe that, you have to depend on someone else all the time and you will be afraid 
all the time that it might get cut off. And we are. What if I lose my job? What if the economy tanks? What if the country falls apart? Then it's all on me because the whole thing's been on me the whole time anyway. And God's like saying, wrong, wrong. It's not on you. It's on me. Believe that and follow that. And, I, and before we can impact the whole country, you have to get this basic truth clear experientially in your life. You have to believe that God can take care of you no matter what's happening in the world. Do you believe that? That's lesson number one. And it's not easy to believe that. It's not easy to believe that. And that's a prayer thing to ask God, where in my life do I not believe that you will take care of me? Where did I learn that you are not able or willing to take care of me? Where did I get this from? That, that makes me so tense all the time about who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? I, I heard this guy say, this really famous inventor, innovator, he said, everyone should spend at least two years of their life with no source of income at all so that you will never be afraid of not having money. Then your brain can create and invent that's what he said. When, when Don and I went to uh, graduate school, we had everything lined up, all the finances lined up, everything. Retirement from the police department, sold a house, had it all lined up, could go through grad school, never have a bill, never have to work. And the first week we're there, 1987, Black Sunday, the whole stock market collapses. And our investment guy calls, calls me and says, I'm sorry, you and Donna have $27. And while I was cursing God, Donna said, let's just go spend it and get to zero. Come on, let's just see what happens. <laughs> I'm like, I'll call your dad and say, we are living on love. That's what we're going to live on from now on. And I mean, we were, after all those years of work and saving and financially investing, all of it gone. Three kids in grad school, hadn't even paid the tuition yet. This is $27. And the next day, Zero, because Donna spent it all. <laughs> Two years we went through grad school, never worked, went full time. And God took care of all the tuition payments and every meal through two years. And it was the greatest time in our life. And we have never been afraid since then of who's going to take care of us. And that's why we can live the way we do. That's what this is. God is your shield. He is your glory. He's the lifter of your head. Two years of coming home and there's a $20 bill taped to the door. Opening up, opening up the newspaper that's on our porch and in every page is a $5 bill, a $10 bill, a $20 bill, a, equaling $850, which was our rent payment. In between every page of the newspaper... It looked like a drug payment or something. <laughs> it's not easy to live that way. It's way easier just to depend on myself. But wow, was it glorious. Oh my goodness. And it was almost discouraging at the end of two years to get hired for a job. It was almost like, ah, wow. That's, that's going to stop. And so then, so that's what he learns. That's what he's learning. And then at the end, at the, this last verse seven, it says, and after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And so, so Elijah's learning this lesson. Wow, God can, can feed me with this ravens and the brooks. No, it's beautiful. And I just lay out here and worship him. And it's amazing. And one day he goes down to the brook and it's dried up. It's dried up. So he has three options here. It's like, hmm, the brook dried up. It was there yesterday and it's not here today. So what does that mean? Number one option is I'm never trusting God again, which is what a lot of us would do. That ah, was good for a while, but it didn't work and I'm never doing that again. And that's a huge mistake to think that way. But that is an option. Option number two, there was water here once. I'm going to make it come back. And I'm going to dig in this brook and I'm going to dig and dig. And I'm going to, I know God gave it at once, but it's right. But I can make it come back. 
and you dig and you dig and it's frustrating and bitter living on this past glory and it's just and it, it'll just end in frustration that's option number two option number three go to God and say what do you want me to know and what do you want me to do now do you know why because God is a God who moves he's like okay did you learn that lesson yes let's go do you want to stay in first grade the rest of your life let's go the whole thing is a progression to higher levels can't just lay there the rest. How does that help the country? That you've staked out a little place where you're okay and the whole rest of the place can go to hell. That's not it. That's not the goal. It's like, move, let's go. But you have to know, first of all, that no matter what, I can supply all your needs. Ready for lesson number two? Let's go. Lesson number two. Then the word of the Lord, there it is. So take, take the class Kim's talking about. Hearing from God, most important class. If you'll notice that when you read scripture, it's a big deal. 17, 8 through 16, then the word of the Lord came to him, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and he said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So I don't know what he's thinking in his head, but if it was me, I would think, wow, rich widow in another city. Perfect. God's taken me to a rich widow with a huge trust fund. I'll, I'll, I'll work right into that beautiful wealth that she has. Wrong, 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 wrong. It's not that kind of widow. And she says to him, as the Lord, not my God, your God, this is my God, this is your God. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. The goal of this woman's life is to eat what she has and then die. And her next generation as well. How many of us, the goal in our life is to eat as much as we can and then die? And that's it. That's pretty much all we got mapped out. And the same thing for the next generation. Just eat everything you can and then die. That's the goal. Like, that's not a goal. That's nothing. What is that? That doesn't require a God who's your shield and your glory and the lifter of your head. Just eat and die. And then do you teach that to your kids? That's the goal. So Elijah said to her, wait, don't be afraid because that's fear-based thinking. That's self-protection and self-promotion. Don't think that way. Don't fear and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. How does Elijah have the confidence to tell this lady who's, who's been around for a while, life hasn't been great, she's pretty, knows it's not great, so really the only highest goal you can have is die, and same for her son. How does he have the faith to tell her that God can supply all her needs? How does he have that faith? Did he memorize a verse on it? No. Did he go to a seminar on it? No. He lived it himself. He, he experientially is only saying to her what he himself has witnessed in his own life. You are my witnesses. That's what Jesus says. You are my witnesses because you have known and experienced what you are now telling the world. The reason we don't have anything to tell the world is because we haven't experientially seen it happen. And we need to. Wait, just every day here. Just, just learn it here, Monday, Tuesday. Just learn it and experience it here. And then we'll all go together to the next town and say, guess what we've experienced? Even in these days, guess what we've experienced? And people will come here and say, what are you, what are you doing? It, it bothers me that as the world is falling apart and the country's fragmenting, unbelievers aren't calling up Christians going, wow, you guys have it so together. What are you doing? They're not calling us. Do you know why? Because we're doing the same thing they're doing. We should be different. 
We should be when they lift up their eyes, they see us standing there going, believe and follow, believe and follow. Who? Jesus. He's right there. We're following him. Believe and follow. That's what we should be saying. And so Elijah can say to this widow, look, I've been where you've been. Like I was waiting on birds to come feed me. At least you got a jar and some sticks. I was laying by a brook going, I hope they're coming again today. And they do because he commands all of creation. He's in charge of the whole thing. So go do it. And I'm telling you, don't be afraid. Just do it. And it's his faith that he shares with her that moves her to live. Because he believes and follows, she can look at him, believe and follow. That's not even her God, his God. I don't know about this stuff, but if that's what your God says and it seems like it's working, let's try it. Because nothing else has worked. Look where we are. And the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that spoke to Elijah. Here's Elijah's second lesson. One, I can supply all your needs. Two, in your blessing, in your walk with Jesus, you can impact other people. You can help supply their needs. And this is called the beginning of a movement. Look at the size of this movement. It's Elijah, a widow, and her son. Here we go. When God brings Three people into it. Now you're talking movement. Not a million man march. Not that stuff. Three people that have really lived this stuff out. Lesson two. God can supply your needs and he can use you to encourage others that he can supply their needs as well. And the witness spreads. First Kings 17, 17 through 24. After this, here comes level three. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, look look at the widow here. What have you against me, O man of God? She thinks because her son is sick that God has something against her or that Elijah has something against her. It's her wrong view of God. She has a wrong understanding of God. And she said to Elijah, Why have you, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. How many times do we hear religious people actually saying this? We're here to remind you of your sin. And we're here to proclaim death over you for your sinfulness and rebellion. Like that's our message. She already thinks this. Why, why are you doing this? To bring sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. Oh, wow. Not like too bad, lady. I'm sorry. Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord. (laughs) Elijah is interceding on behalf of the widow for her son. This is called healing prayer. Because he doesn't know what's happening. Either it's a mystery to him. But Elijah's learning. The widow's learning. The son is going to learn in a second. And he cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity? He's asking the theological question. Have you brought calamity upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Did you do that? It's like it. And we all go through this. Like, why did that happen? God, are you just going around killing people? Is that what, did you bring me here so you could kill her son? Like, is that what's happening here? Because that's what a lot of people believe. That God's up there just killing people. That's his thing. Bring sin on them and kill them. And so she's asking the theological question. Elijah's like, give me your son. And then he goes in the room. I think he's pretty calm and cool. And then he gets in that room and he's like, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? He, He shows her that he has faith. But his faith, does, his faith doesn't really show it. And he's in that room. He's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing? I don't know what you're doing. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and he cried to the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again and he revived. Let me tell you something about God. Elijah's prayer didn't make a bad God good all of a sudden. Don't make that mistake. 
It's not like God, I'm going to put their sin on them and I'm going to kill them. And then Elijah somehow persuades an angry, mean God to be good. God was always good and he always had this in his mind to heal this kid and raise this kid because God is fairly famous for raising the dead. It's what he does. The death thing is the anomaly in it. But Elijah doesn't know that. And the widow definitely doesn't know it. She thinks counter to it. Elijah's like, wow, you feed me, you supply all my needs. You supply the needs of a person that doesn't even know you just because I said I witnessed it and expressed it, which lifts me up in her eyes and lifts you up in my eyes and we're all going up. And then you kill her son. Like, how does that go together? Because this is what Elijah has to learn and the widow has to learn that God raises the dead and heals the sick. It's what he does. Right. And we don't believe it. And we don't believe it. And it scares us. Like, what if I go and it doesn't work? Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into me. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. That's God. He's the he's Elijah's shield. He's his glory. He's the one who exalts Elijah in front of this woman by healing the son and exalting the son and exalting the widow. And in the kingdom of God, we all go up. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. Who's more shocked? The widow or Elijah? Both. Wow. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Healing is not an event. It's a process. It wasn't just, wow, that kid got healed. Yay. And that's all over. It's a whole process of all of us becoming well. This, it's healing to Elijah and his view of God. It's healing to the widow and her view of God and her view of herself. It's healing to the kid, definitely. It's healing to the nation of Israel as this progresses into what it's going to become with the God who's the lifter of everybody's head. It, it, it's not just a healing event. It's a healing process that God is always inviting us into. Healing all the time. In these beautiful moments like this, but continually healing and restoring. It's not a one and done. It's a lifelong process of getting well together. Do you know what sick people do? They kill each other all the time. Well, people don't do that. Whole people don't need to do that. God can heal the sick and raise the dead. And it's a constant process every day. He's healing all the sickness I believe about myself and the world that I am. He's raising the dead dreams. He, all the time, he's the way, the truth, and the life, and all of it. And then in verse Kings 18, lastly, in many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Look how it's always the word of the Lord coming to him and telling him to move. Move. Stop sitting there. We learned this lesson. Here we go. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. Well, he showed himself to Ahab once before and it was like, tell him it's not going to rain and run. This is a little longer this time. Go show yourself to Ahab. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now look at Obadiah. I want you to pay attention to Obadiah. This is level three for Elijah. Level four for Elijah. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save horses. Verse six. So they divided the land between them to pass through it down to verse 7. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. Here's the two believers in the land meeting each other. Look at the difference between the two believers, Elijah and Obadiah. Obadiah is, loves God. 
He fears the Lord. And as Obadiah was on his way, behold, Elijah met, met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, Listen to Obadiah. And he said, How have I sinned? He sounds like the widow. How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? Just like the widow. But this is a believer, a brave believer. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath to the kingdom or nation that they had not found him. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. As soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. <laughs> Obadiah doesn't trust God. He's afraid. What if I leave and God takes you away? Behold, Elijah is here, and as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you, and I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me, although your servant has feared the Lord from my youth. And then he goes on to explain how noble he is to God. Has it not been told that my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men and the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. What's the difference between Elijah and Obadiah? Elijah believes and follows. What Obadiah has figured out as a brave man who fears God is how to survive. Not to change anything, just how to survive. And so all he does is he saves the prophets that he can and he hides them in caves and hopes one day, I don't know, the rapture will happen or Ahab will die, and we're just going to hide and wait. And Elijah's like, that's not a strategy. That's what the widow's doing. Eat and die. Hide and die. That's not a strategy. This passage is saying you can, you can be a believer, and you can be brave, and still your strategy is just survival. And God's saying, let's go higher than that because I am your glory and I am your shield and I am the one who will exalt you higher than hiding out in a cave somewhere and hoping it ends. It's not a strategy. And Elijah said, as the Lord host lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. Elijah encourages, he gives courage to Obadiah. And says, go get him. I'll wait. I promise you. I'll stay here. I'll be here. And you're not going to die. And well done. Good job. But there's another level we can go to. Believe and follow. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. And off we go to the top of the mountain where the whole thing's going to change. So... Two weeks ago, we got invited to go speak to 80 Muslim leaders in the U.S., 80 Muslim mosque leaders who were gathered together by a group of Christian pastors. And you imagine how tense it is in the world. And so that gathering two weeks ago was pretty tense. And so what you have to think about is if you could get in a room with 80 imams who are really upset and pastors who are really upset and put them all together in room and God looks at you and says, stand up and speak to these people in a way that'll give them a path forward, higher and forward. What would you say? What would you say? All you could say is what you have seen and experienced in your own life with the God that wants to take that whole room higher and further into peace. We need to be able to do that. We need to be able to go into those kinds of places, whether it's with one widow or a congressperson who's trying to live out their faith in the government or up in front of a whole nation. It's one person, it's you, and we need to be able to do this. And the way we do it is just by learning that God will take care of your everyday. And then he'll use you to help other people take care of their everyday. And then he'll use you to help encourage believers to like, don't just hide. Don't just hide. Let's go out. 
Let's not let the enemy just have this whole thing. Let's go take the enemy on. And then we'll stand together on top of the mountain and call the whole country in and say, this is the way forward. Let's walk in it. How? By looking at Jesus and believing what he says and following him. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the process that you want to walk all of us in every day. Just starting simple. I'll take care of you. Just simple. Lord, where in my life do I struggle with believing just that you'll meet me? Just meet me today. Lord, would you just teach me that you will meet with me today and walk me through the day meeting my every need. Just teach me that, Lord, and let me learn from you. Until the day when I've got that and I hold it and I believe it and I know it's true. And then we'll go talk to another person who we can encourage. And then onward and upward and onward and upward out into the world that so desperately needs something besides fear, guilt, and shame and war. Lord, guide us in this, I pray. As as people of Christ Fellowship Church, as people of the church, of, of the kingdom of God, all of us, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite the prayer team to go ahead and come forward. And to wrap up today by reminding all of us that what Winship is talking about, what we started the service out with is the desire of God's heart since the beginning of time before time was that we would be in relationship with Him face to face looking at one another hearing His voice and moving in His joy and His peace so to end today I would like to ask you to stand and I just want to bless you with words from Scripture and I'm going to invite you if you would to just close your eyes And instead of bowing your head as we're so accustomed to do, would you lift your face toward heaven and just receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may He make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you peace. Walk in that blessing this week. Amen.